Hey friend, welcome to Houston Made, a show where I, Rusty Gates, get to talk with local Houston-based entrepreneurs and business owners about what it's like to be in the middle of that journey and selfishly gain insights as I build my own businesses. Let's talk about when your worst fears become a reality. Uh, This week's guest is Ty Robbins, a beloved friend, and as you'll hear, a successful, accomplished, uh, and very talented music producer, music director, um, audio engineer, etc. I have wanted to have Ty on the show for a very, very long time, and one of the insecurities I've had around that from the very beginning is creating a really good-sounding podcast. Uh, I... I'm not an audio engineer, uh, very much a jack of all trades, master of none. And so, you know, I've been proud that I think that this show sounds better today than it did whenever we started. After a couple of years, we figured a couple things out. And I do think generally it sounds good or at least good enough. Uh, but going into an episode with Ty, you know, we're literally recording in his uh, professional music studio, which looks like the bat cave, but in like the coolest way possible. And going into that space, I just knew it was like, we got to make this sound really good. And what you'll find is that for the first two thirds of this interview, yeah, I think it sounds really nice. Uh, But against my better judgment, I didn't change the batteries in my audio recorder. So it dies two thirds of the way through this conversation. Thankfully, Ty had set up a backup mic Uh, for himself. A part of me just was like, hey, man, do you want to record this whole thing? Because it's going to sound better if you do it. Um, But so he had a backup mic. So his audio is okay for the last third. Mine for the last third of this interview sounds like I'm talking through a tin can. Uh, And that is what it is. And I can't tell you how much embarrassment I felt in that moment and uh, probably still feel even right now about that. Nonetheless, I think that this is a great conversation. I very much enjoyed it. And when I can take my pride and ego outside of this not being a a very good sounding podcast all the way through, uh, I am proud of the interview and I'm proud of the conversation we had. And I think that Ty shares so many good pieces of wisdom and so much of his own story and experience getting into the music industry and kind of figuring that out. Um, so I, it's absolutely worth a listen. I apologize. I will always change my batteries on every interview from here on out. Lesson learned the hard way about 40 interviews in. So, you know, that is what it is. Before we get into the full conversation, I do want to remind you about the text community, the text message community that we have for Houston Made. Now, if you want to join that community, please text the letters HTX to the phone number 844-714-0275. And that will be a really great way for me to connect with you and you to connect with me. The reason why I created this is because podcasting is a really weird medium in that there's no like comment section on your podcast app, whether you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, those are the only two, really. Uh, There's like a small handful of you that's like listening on Google Podcast. Uh, But anyway, if wherever you're listening, there's not a good way for you to leave comments where you go, oh, I really like this, or that was weird, or hey, please change your batteries next time. Uh, So joining this text community is an opportunity for you to share your thoughts, to share suggestions on guests, also to, if you want to sponsor the podcast, it's a good way for you to connect with us. And then it's also a way for me to connect with you to let you know about what we've got going on, what's coming up. Uh, We just gave away three vinyl albums uh, of 
uh, Micah Edwards Gene Leon after his interview and did that on Instagram Live. So if you don't want to miss those kinds of things, uh, be sign up for the text thread and we will let you know when we're giving things away. I've got new stickers that are just about to drop. I've got more shirts and swag and all the things on the way. So uh, join the text line and you'll be the first to know so that uh, before those things run out, you can get on. So anyway, text line. Text the letters HTX to the phone number 844-714-0275 to join the community like so many already have. So without further rambling from me, listen in as Ty and I discuss his journey from being a teenager with dreams of becoming a rock star to actually becoming a phenomenal producer and music director right here in Houston the way our mutual friends have inspired us to pursue our passions and why it's always a good idea to practice just a little bit more. Ty Robbins, music producer, audio mixer extraordinaire. Thank you so much for being on the show and for having us in this, your amazing bat cave of a studio uh yeah. how, how are you doing today doing good feel good drop the girls off at school got some coffee yeah doing good i love it well man i am so grateful to be here and to be finally doing this and and chatting with you uh season three which is where we are in the podcast life now there's been this reoccurring theme of me finally getting to sit down with the people that i wanted to do the show with however many years ago at this point and your name was very much at the top of that list as well and so to do this yeah it's just nice just making things dreams come true (laughs) over here um for people who don't know you which i kind of imagine might be a lot you're not i Mm. would say an attention-seeking guy but i think Mm. that you have your hand on a lot of things and i could say with confidence that you have probably impacted the Houston music scene in a lot of ways. Well, thank you. So, so for people who don't know, tell us about Ty Robbins, Ty's place, all of this. Yeah. Um, well, I'm a music producer and mix engineer. Um, I've been doing this professionally for, man, it's been 12, 10, 12 years now. Um, this place that we're in is, uh, it's in our backyard for those of you not here with me and uh it's a built out what was a garage but um we built into a studio space um i work here half the time by myself just making things sound okay yeah (laughs) and then uh, the other half of the time i have clients here artists that um come to me with their projects their dreams and aspirations of what they think that it could possibly be yeah. with these grand scale ideas. And I try my best to help facilitate that, especially on the, on the technical sonic end, but also just dreaming it out. And, you know, like, where are you coming from? What are you listening to? Mm-hmm. And what do you love? You know, if, if you could make the ultimate project for yourself, you know, that kind of dreaming uh, is what I love doing. And so it's kind of a half and half um, social job and then half very not social in the sure. back cave by myself yeah yeah and and 
I think that does that that probably makes sense for how you're wired to be like yes that's enough yeah. people and now yes I'm gonna go to my controlled space you nailed it <laughs> and, do, and do some detail oriented work yes yes and I love both so it works out well that way yeah. for me I love it uh, so we interviewed Micah Edwards I he's a mutual friend I found and met Micah through you you uh, and your wife have done over the years numerous house shows here um, you guys built out your house like you bought this house and then like tore down walls and mm -hmm. had that kind of in mind right so yeah, what was sure. that what was that process of saying like hey we want to buy a house but we want it to be more well we didn't have kids at that point <laughs> yeah so the dreams were uh were different but i'm glad we did it because like you said it facilitated a lot of really good hanging out in that big open space uh, our house is not huge so a big portion of it is taken up by the living space that can you know, the way it's shaped can house house shows. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and before the pandemic, you know, that was, we were doing those every few months, you know? Yeah. And so the, I mean, that was the thought and, <clears throat> you know, my wife is much more of a social animal than I am. <laughs> if anybody yeah. that's listening knows her, her name is Sarah and she, um, she, she and I both kind of thought it out that way. Like mm. we, we love entertaining. Um, and, and it kind of, I, I would say that we didn't even have the thought of house shows necessarily, mm -hmm. but just having an open space to entertain, but it just became so clear so quickly that, um, getting a bunch of creative people together and a lot of the people are friends, you know, it's, it's like a couple of pockets of, close friend groups that'll show up to these shows anywhere from, I think we started off with 20 to 30 people and it grew to, you know, 50 or 60 maybe by yeah. the, by the end of it before the pandemic hit. Um, so that was the impetus of that was just entertaining, you know, as a part of our lifestyle. Um, just so happens, just side note, uh, I don't know if we've talked about this before me okay. and you, but the pandemic hit right after Elle was born, our first yeah. girl. And so, um, it, it kind of like coincided with the end, the end of both mm -hmm. the ability for us to do it practically. Cause now we have a, mm -hmm. a newborn baby and then also just the pandemic, you know, sweeping any social yeah. gatherings under the rug for a long time. So, yeah. and it's funny you bring it up because we're like, we're like ramping up to start them back. Yes. Um, and I, I can't wait. Um, we're trying for October. Yeah, that's right around the corner. I know, like I, know. I was looking this morning and I was like, we better like put it together. Yeah, get on it. Yeah, so hopefully like maybe late October. I but love we'll that. I, I hope so. You let me know. I, I'll be here. I Those shows are such a, they were such a cool experience. You guys brought in local musicians. I'm assuming you worked with a lot of them, but maybe not mm -hmm. all of them. Yeah, probably not even half. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So brought in local musicians, it's kind of this underground scene, partially because it's in your house. So there's that. Um, but it was these such intimate shows and they really are like listening parties in a way. Right? Yeah. So that yeah. it is not it is. There's a bunch of us that were just getting together. And we were drinking and hanging out and socializing. But it was very much one of those scenes. It's like, hey, they're playing. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which was cool. And yeah. I think that um, we were lucky enough and are lucky enough just through friends and it's partially what I do, right? Obviously having a, a pulse on talent and mm -hmm. talented musicians and artists 
but also their friends that I haven't worked with. And, and you kind of get a pulse for what's going on in Houston. So all that to say, we had some really great artists uh, in our living room. I mean, and so, and it's not just the culture. It's that when you have that great of an artist mm-hmm. and entertainer, they command the room. Yeah. And so you can, you can feel it. It's like when you have real talent in the room, all of a sudden everybody kind of like the drinks start to go to the, coaster hopefully in my yeah. living room <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or you know wherever the surface is next to you yeah. and um and so i mean i'm trying to think back on people i i probably shouldn't start mentioning names because i'll forget somebody but, <laughs> and, <laughs> I, i'm sure they're not all listening but yeah. yeah there certainly have been and obviously micah can certainly be a yeah a yeah. big name there because he's been on this show and we've talked about it quite a bit so. and i worked with him so closely mm-hmm. and I, me and him are such good friends now but didn't madeline play I she did, yeah. Played. And Madeline's yeah. like, that's a, for those who, who don't know in this episode, uh, Madeline is Micah's sister. Yeah. And she's like in, on CMA and like, yeah, she is doing all the country music. And she moved to Nashville stuff. not too long ago and has just done so well there. Yeah. And it's awesome to see, yeah. you know, like Houston friend that's like, you know, she was opening up for Chris Stapleton mm-hmm. on a big leg of his tour and, yeah, like you were saying, the CMA um, like performance. Like the Academy or something. Yeah, there's a performance. And, and it hasn't that. ended. She did yeah. Grand, Ole, uh, Grand Ole Opry, I think. Is that no right? One, no one's Yeah, I'm seeing an affirmative. Yeah, oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Is that what it was? Yeah. I mean, it just, seems, it just seems like she's like killing it right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, so. But that, and that's one, but one of many. I think that there are so many other local artists that you've produced that have been a part of it. And For sure. Yeah. Uh, that it is... Um, it's been amazing to see that. And especially for someone like, I think myself, where my musical tastes tend to be stuck towards the pop punk of the early 2000s. <laughs> uh, and anything that resembles that, uh, I found this band, uh, uh, what is it? One OK Rock, um, I think. One OK Rock. Are they Houston man? No. So it's a Japanese oh, pop yeah. punk band, but they okay. sing in English. And you would never know that it's this group of Japanese musicians and singers that like they fell in love with it. And so it's like this recapitulation of what I fell in love with. That's the new, new riffs on it and stuff. Yeah. It's funny you bring that up because I, there's like, I've, that doesn't surprise me. I should say, because there was a band that I worked with that's really into Japanese music, but, uh, and they do pop music. So have you heard camera cult? No, but we can we can Dude, jump in. They are great, uh, and they're a Houston man. Okay, and they put on a great live show, um, and we've worked together in a uh, on a couple of different projects for them. And um, on one thing, they wrote me in to play bass yeah. on like a live shoot of some of their songs, and it was a lot of fun. So I learned all their songs, but they also covered some Japanese rock bands. It's amazing, and it was yeah, I was like, this is awesome stuff, and. You know, you're saying pop punk years ago. This was like right when me and you met, maybe. Okay. Like, so we're talking way back when. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was working with a pop punk band in Houston. I wonder if they're still playing shows. I need to reach back out to them. I haven't talked to them in like a year or two. Yeah. Um, name Gun Rock You. This is, see, this is my jam. <laughs> this, there's, yeah. There's a sweet spot I go. I'm already in just nice. on the name. I'm I'll send you the tracks. Yeah. I love it. Um, yeah, man. So, 
Let's go into your story because I think you and I could just sit here and shoot this shit all day. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But where where did all of this start for you? Um, okay. Where I mean, obviously you're a musician in your own right, um, but then you turn that into this thing where you're right. making and helping other people make music and make their dreams come true and help them find their voice and their sound. So what was the journey into that world for you? Cause you've done some cool things and I want to talk about that stuff too, but okay. how did you start out? Well, I did not start out thinking I would produce or, or be on like, so to speak, this side of the glass. Sure. I was going to be a rock star. <laughs> um, and I was in rock bands growing up, you know, ever since I learned to play the guitar at 14, you know, um, we had a, a family friend stay with us when I was 14 and he was in college. So automatically his cool points are really high, yeah. right? Also, he's in a rock band and he brings all of his gu guitars and pedals and, yeah. you know, um, and all this nice equipment and I'd never messed with any of that stuff. Couldn't play the guitar, but by the end of that summer, he had taught me how to play the guitar. That's and that awesome. was the beginning of, um, you know, the obsession, I guess you could say. And I just never, one thing I wish I had done, uh, looking back retrospective on life here, one thing I wish I had done is practice more, mm -hmm. you know, um, I like parents that, put their kids in piano lessons and they're trying to get them to practice and stuff. I was the typical kid that like didn't want to practice sure. or try and like learn it by ear and just get by. <laughs> yeah. And so when it came to guitar, that's kind of was my thing. I learned a few chords and I was much more interested in putting those chords in my own order and mm -hmm. writing my own songs. Um, than necessarily expanding upon yeah no no your exactly <laughs> the, the palette remains small yeah. but I wanted to paint with those colors mm -hmm. you know and um, I luckily or you know for my musicianship skills maybe unluckily very quickly found myself with my close with my closest friends mm -hmm. you know kind of providentially yeah. that I that I met in that time who are still all my closest friends. Yeah. Just so happened to be a great guitar player and you know for our age sure. at that time and a great drummer and you know so we put together a band and I didn't have to play well. Yeah. <laughs> you know I I could kind of like come up with things and then they could expound upon them and do them yeah. much better than I could. <clears throat> um and I rode that kind of passion for the creation and the arrangement of music now looking back it seems obvious that that would kind of put me on this trajectory mm -hmm. but back then it was uh, a much more sophomoric thought of like i'm going to go like play in front of thousands of people sure. and and it wasn't even really the live shows as much as the studio you know mm -hmm. so now that i'm saying this out loud it kind yeah. of makes sense too but um yeah we would so the obsession that got me where I am now was, okay, first the guitar, then the band, the rock and roll band that I'm in. And we quickly write our own songs. We're playing shows, you know, yeah. little bars. And, you know, we're 15, 16 years old. And, yeah, and and it's fun. And we've got these songs and we want to record them. Yeah. And we have no clue how to do that. Yeah. And so you what, start. What year? We'd be late 90s somewhere? A little. Yeah. Well, uh, 
early 2000s yeah right around 2000 yeah like so I'm, I'm, I'm just imagining then like what your audio equipment because you're like we don't have anything to record but yeah just thinking what would be available yeah it's not even like you had an ipad we're like oh yeah we can just plug into this ipad with yeah <laughs> not back thing. then man no this is, this is the first thing we had i think was a um a tape cassette four track tape cassette recorder i love it then we saved up some more money together and bought a um, like a digital recording to an SD card. Mm-hmm. Roland made like a four channel digital recorder, then saved up some money and bought like a, a really cheap computer. Mm-hmm. And we had some, some friend that taught us how to like put together a very small computer with interface. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and that was what we used. And that was like the, first time we could record eight tracks at a time and so now we could mic up the drum kit more like we see in videos and pictures that we're mm-hmm. trying to learn from um and then all that led me through high school basically interest in sports and other things waning yeah. quickly yeah and by the end of high school interest in music you know f- on full tilt and um so by the time it was college decision time yeah. and I've got the kind of parents that wanted me to go to college and mm-hmm. uh, you know it wasn't forceful but it was kind of like expected yeah that I was going do. to go to college yeah. and uh, I I learned that there were audio engineering programs that you could get a bachelor's degree in mm-hmm. and so that's what I did yeah and that that was the the final nail I think I love seeing how those little seeds get planted and then germinate into these bigger things um, because you talk about, well, you get into this band and kind of, you have all the other pieces fit in. So you can kind of just be a part of the thing and help with ideation and then recording the things. But because I wonder if and with pure speculation, if they didn't have the guitar player and you had to be up there, but then you like got a little hit of that dopamine of mm. being the front man and yeah. like got a little encouragement if that like then derails the, <laughs> the whole, that timeline yeah. just like then totally I am a rock spins star. off and you go that because <laughs> yeah. um i it just sounds like really early on you got this validation of i mean the fact that you could just get to hang out and ideate and they're like yeah be yeah there. yes i think that um you know thinking back on that time i it was so um I hear people say stuff like this in interviews and, and here I'm, we are now I'm saying, it. <laughs> but it was so, it felt so pure mm-hmm. because it came from such a pure place of being not, I didn't want to be famous and picked up the guitar or, and I didn't want to attract girls attention yeah. and, and thus picked up the guitar. Cause you hear those stories mm-hmm. too. Yeah, Mine was much more, I was like, it felt, extrinsic to myself it felt like being pulled Mm. towards the creation of the songs not that one or the other is better or worse sure but that was my experience and so like i think that i've kind of i still feel tugged Mm. that direction Mm -hmm. it's become much less um obvious because as responsibilities in life grow you have more like from talking from this creative perspective, which is nice to do. Like you get more static 
mm-hmm. the way of that pure like pull towards just whatever that first obsession was. Mm-hmm. But it's still there for me. Yeah. You know? And and when people say, "Man, I'm really blessed to do what I do and that life brought me here." I truly feel that way because yeah. of that. I think that's kind of the the reason why. Yeah. That's beautiful. I, and I, I, I think I relate to it. I think that, and I don't know that this is everyone's experience, nor does it need to be. I'll constantly say like, you can live a very happy and fulfilling life without being married and or having kids. You'll mm. probably have a more profitable life and <laughs> yeah. enjoy it in, in other ways. Um, but the responsibilities of being a spouse and being a parent certainly uh, pared down my priorities mm. and, and forced me to start saying, well, I don't, First off, we like look back like, what did we do with all of our time? What in the yeah. world? Talk like, about another thing that you hear people say yeah. all the time. I, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then all of a sudden you catch yourself are. going, okay, I'm there now. I understand what they were saying. Yeah, yeah, what did we do with our time? Um, and so it's crazy to me that I do all the things that I do now with so much less time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what was I doing before? I was working on my KD ratio on Call of Duty, really, realistically, <laughs> which was never great yeah. either, by the way. It was Halo for me. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, but it, it certainly you find like, oh, well, now maybe it's that scarcity. Then like, I think we talk can talk a lot about this with creativity of the way that boundaries kind of force creativity to some degree of like, you can say, hey, do anything. And you're like, what? And this was true with my kids as I see this too. They're like, go play. And they're like, I'm bored. I don't know what to do. And my boys are at an age now where they constantly bored. But if mm-hmm. I give them a challenge or I give them some kind of time constraint or whatever, like it's on. Really? And they just that's go. Cool. And so, um, yeah, I think that that's true. And now it, those boundaries of life can kind of say, oh, well, now I only have time for one or two things. What are those yes, going to be? Yeah. And it's very obvious. It's like, oh, if I don't do this, I'm going to die yeah. <laughs> inside. Yeah. Um, how, do you mind me asking how old your boys are? Now? Yeah, they are, as of recording, uh, six years old and four years old. Nice. Yes. So I've got one and two. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to be asking you questions for the next. Here we are. What sixteen years? 17 yeah, years. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we've got I've got boys, so we'll we'll see. Yeah, uh, that's true. It is. It does seem different. I mean, in our experience, it it is. You know, there's some stereotypical things that go along with yeah, that. Yeah, for but, sure. Um, the the guitar thing. I wanted to touch on this too. You talk about picking up the guitar, learning a few chords, and be like, "That's it." That was my experience, <laughs> right? Is I, I think I got into guitar lessons really briefly in like the fourth grade. Got my first guitar, learned some of the notes on the first five strings. <laughs> Didn't even get to the last like the last string. That's where how far I got. And it was like oh, when the Saints come marching in, it was all like that. And then it wasn't until I think middle school, high school that I learned some chords. But never was like I need to learn more. It was like oh G D A E minor. We're great. Yeah, We're exactly. Fine. This is all that I need. Yeah. Um, and it. To the point where I'm in high school and I'm learning to play guitar more because our friend, my friends are all, all like everyone is learning. Yeah. And I've approximately learned, you know, 45% of a dozen songs. And so then at some point I remember being at this open mic and I was like, I could play. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> and then I go up and very much embarrass myself by being like, well, I can play a third of these songs. Uh, yeah. So I've got a chorus of this song, a chorus of this song. Okay, that's the end of that one. <laughs> Here's the next thing. And um, I'm sure even your uh, few chords that you learned were probably a little more uh, proficient. <laughs> playing <laughs> I hope, song. but yeah, um, who knows? But so then you get into uh, college and you went that route. You went the audio engineer 
like production side of things where yeah you go to i did with still with the thought that i was going to be an artist mm. in, in my own right i didn't know what that would shape out to look like yeah. other than i wanted to be in a band with mm. other people and i most likely wanted to be in a band with ben and john yeah who were who are still my best friends mm -hmm. and um and even in college so i went off to college near nashville mm -hmm. And uh, at Middle Tennessee State University. And even then, kept in touch with those guys um, and kept that hope or dream or whatever you want to call it alive of yeah. the band. Yeah. So much so that we started another band after I graduated. And, and so the, it wasn't like graduated with this degree in audio engineering went straight into a, mm. a life of studio recording yeah, and into stuff. a closet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Back, back into like rock and roll band, small rooms, rehearsal rooms and trying to play shows. And then, um, yeah, it wasn't until a couple of years later that, you know, after kind of a quarter life crisis being like, what am I going to do with my life? What is this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to be a rock star, you know, at, at the point in which yeah. life is like rolling, you know, me and Sarah, were looking at marriage mm -hmm. and I'm like, you know, rock stardom doesn't look so good now. Yeah. You know, not to mention I'm not good enough to, to, to do it. Yeah. The signs are pointing <laughs> yeah. in a certain direction. Yeah. So like, what am I going to do now? And then, you know, I think all of the built skills and, you know, whatever I had honed from, writing songs and mm -hmm. all of that stuff kind of pulled me back in. Yeah. Of doing some of that back in stuff. Uh, a clarifying question. You mentioned that at that time you still felt like you wanted, you were going to be like an artist. Is that a, when you use that term, is that just parlance of being like, Oh yeah, that's what we call the, the musician side of thing. Mm -hmm. Or is that a delineation of like you looking at what you do as not art? No. Good question. No, I've, I fully am using that term just as what the industry calls people who are entertainers. Yeah. Recording artists. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Recording That's, artists. But you would see that like what you do on this backside with the magic of the brew, <laughs> the, yes. the witchcraft that you're doing back here is its own artistry. Yes. Maybe too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, when you delve into any profession or at least I, when I've, delved into this one and I see other people doing this, you know, you start looking at the people that are like the, the very successful people doing whatever it is you're doing. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, the Rick Rubens yeah. and the, you know, all that stuff. And there is this sense of like, uh, like Zen, you know, almost like Buddhism between yeah. that, like this thread of, of that. So yeah, it gets a little mystic up in, in the whole studio, uh, culture, I guess, for lack of a better yeah. term. But to answer your previous question, no, totally just. Yeah, that's industry industry terminology. Yes. So uh, you're starting to settle down and you go like, okay, well, we need to do more of this. Um, and you're, you don't get out of it. You don't go, okay, well, now I'm going to go get my day job. Or, Almost. Or did you get a day job? I, I thought about, so I had like day jobs, uh -huh. right? Like just to pay the bills yeah. all along. As a, as a musician. Yes. Um, but the quarter life crisis was like, am I really going to do music? Yeah. And so it was like, I think it was the, no, it was the last time that I kind of doubted, mm. am I going to be doing music vocationally in some way? How, how old are you? See the quarter life? Is it 25? Was it around there? Yeah. A little it? earlier than 25, yeah. probably 20, 
24 ish. Yeah. Uh, 23, 24. Um, I, and I went like hard back the other way. I was like, maybe I'll be a lawyer. Wow. <laughs> maybe I'll be. Yeah. So I, I took the LSAT. Um, like I kind of, I, wow. I went there. I went back to school for a semester yeah. for electrical engineering. <laughs> you were just covering some bases. Yes. <laughs> just try throwing stuff at the yeah, wall. We'll see what happens. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, I had my own like reasons for trying sure. those. But, you know, the story kind of looking back it was you know it, none of that stuck it was mm -hmm. all it was all more of a the attempt at like how am i going to support a family if i yeah. have one in the future yeah not like what is you know what do i want do I to really do? want yeah, to do what do i really want to like you were solving a logistical problem yes. yeah yeah looking down the barrel of and very happy about it marriage because of being excited of starting that that part of life but with sarah but um, also knowing like that the musician rock star slash maybe producer yeah. engineer road is not as lucrative as the lawyer one, or at least not as, uh, obviously lucrative sure. early on. Um, that was the impetus for those. Yeah. Yeah. Know? Yeah. That makes and sense. So, and then, um, but also that you would have a mind for it, right? That if you, if you could get past the death of your soul that, <laughs> yes, that yeah. you would like, I think you would have probably done really well in either of those fields. Well, just thank you. Yeah. Based on how your mind is wired. <laughs> yeah, um, I think so. But I think that the death of my soul would have made it a really miserable life, you know, yeah. like thinking back now, because what made me stop with the lawyer track was, um, having some close family friends that were, that are lawyers and, yeah. and like studying for the LSAT and then seeing them at, yeah. at, social events and stuff and asking them what is it what is it like to be a lawyer yeah. and hearing them describe their life and being like that does not sound That's like not something it. i want to do yeah <laughs> uh, and the electrical engineering thing was after that and it was it was a little bit like what ac actually what happened ended up happening do you know have you ever heard the name rupert neve okay so. so this is like like a in the audio engineering world okay he's kind of like uh, the forefather of the gear that we use now. Okay. He's very like lauded as yeah. this uh, electrical engineer who built the consoles that mo a lot of the yeah. music we love was made on. All, all of that. Okay. So British guy, right? Yeah. Rupert, Rupert Neve. Yeah. And but he moved to Texas. He fell in love with Texas. <laughs> so he has this British accent, but he wears bolo ties. Come and on. cowboy hats. Yeah. So a suit, like a character. Right? Yeah. Um, and so he set up shop with Rupert Neve Designs in Texas. And I got a, I got to tour the facility. Oh my God. And so it was at a time where I was like, okay, not going to be a lawyer. Would like to be at least tangential to music in some way. Yeah. And I'm looking at all of these, like the innards of the recording equipment out on benches and stuff. And I'm like, well, these guys are like, at least making the gear that yeah. makes the music. Yeah. Let's see what that's all about. Yeah, maybe that's, I can that was that. going and that, back. And maybe that's responsible. Yes. Right? Yeah. Because it's, yeah, yeah, you're making a thing that's tangential and, and responsible. And, yeah. 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 And so that was the electrical engineering thought, but you know, that died pretty quickly too. So then what was the shift in the, the quarter life crisis that was it that tour? And you're like, Oh, actually I just want to be him. Or how did the, or did somebody come to you and like, hey, I'll pay you 
$500 or how did that play out? Yeah, that's a good question. I, it wasn't some, obviously the way I'm, I'm not able to like immediately answer. I think it was a convergence of things. Mm. One of which was people like me starting to uh, work on projects with music people Mm -hmm. again. Yeah. Um, that then needed to be recorded. And it just so happened that I knew how to do that now. Yeah. Um, another thing was that a big multi-million dollar studio was built and opened like two minutes from where me and Sarah like started living. Yeah. Right at that time. And I, so a friend a friend of mine was like, hey, have you heard of the studio? It's new. They haven't even opened. They're about to do their grand opening. And brought me by, and it was Wire Road Studios in the Heights. And I'm like walking through the studio in 2011 when studios all over are closing their doors. Yeah. Here's in Houston, of all places, somebody's building this like big, yeah, well designed studio. It made no sense to me. And so I was curious and I um, talked to all of the the people that were there, you know, working to get yeah. the grand opening to happen. And Basically, within a couple of weeks, probably, I thought, you know, I could work there. Yeah. Maybe. It's here now. Yeah, it's the here. They need engineers. Yeah. yeah. So I basically went there and didn't leave. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to hang out and help. Yeah. Them, you know, for free. Yeah. And um, that quickly, once they opened their doors, they immediately needed help because they got busy. and Yeah. I think all of those things just converged to like, this is it. Throw me back at it, which there was already the like desire there underlying. Yeah. And so since then it's been. Yeah. Yeah. But that again, let's talk about cliche podcast things. Um, <laughs> I think that idea of uh, luck is when preparation meets opportunity, right? Mm-hmm, is that how mm-hmm. it goes? I mean, that feels like the thing Yeah, where it's like, oh, you were so lucky. It's like, well, no, but you'd been doing music for a decade plus recording things from crappy little things. I'm sure as you went through college and all that, you learned far better equipment. And so now you're like, oh, yeah, I can do this. Yeah. And it's here and it's close and this it, it logistically makes sense and maybe solves some of those problems. Yeah. Um, was it a lot of money at the beginning or was it like no. this is... No, but it okay. didn't matter. Yeah. You know, it was like, it was so refreshing mm-hmm. and so like eye opening. Like, you know, you were talking about death of the soul. It was like, like water to the soul. It was like, yeah. And it was, I was doing the worst sessions at like <laughs> really late at night, you know, like, because like nobody else would or like it was just like that was because the I was the, group. yeah, I yeah. was the like for the first maybe couple months i was the low man on the totem pole because they had already stopped they had already had people that they had hired to be engineers yeah. right and i was the guy that once all of those guys were busy they were throwing the work to yeah but it didn't matter you know i was young and sarah and i were newly married so it wasn't there weren't kids mm-hmm. had a lot of time and you know it was just yeah it didn't matter it did matter later on it started to matter once yeah. i started to realize like Oh, I may want to like do this. Yeah. It, I started to like, you know, realize, late. okay, not loving these sessions yeah. at, late at night and, and stuff. Late at night's fine if, if you feel like you're 
making music. You know, I didn't feel like I, at a certain point it crossed over to like yeah. the newness of working in this cool studio is starting to wear off. And yeah. it's like, I'm, I'm remembering the passion for the music and, um, but wire, wire road is, was great. And the people there were great to me. And, um, oh, and they, uh, one of the guys that works there, Bill Wade was the person that, so, and talk about day job, right? Yeah. Like, um, he handed me basically his, he got too busy to teach his class at HCC. Okay. As a, uh, adjunct professor in their audio department. And, and one day just so happened to be in the kitchen with him and overheard him saying, yeah, I'm not going to be able to teach this class. They're looking for somebody yeah. to someone else. And I was like, what does it take to teach that class? <laughs> you know? Here, yeah. Here I am. So maybe I can like, maybe my day job can be audio related. Yeah. And so, um, I did. So I, I taught audio at HCC and there was another school called media tech that I taught at both of them for like five or six years Yeah, while developing producing and skills and meeting people. And, um, you know, before this bat cave thing existed yeah. and, um, maybe that's the name of it now. Yeah, maybe. I, to go with it. I, it, I mean, it would just it's <laughs> shocking to me cave. that other people haven't called it that, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is very bat cave-ish. Um, yeah. uh, I, 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 I think it's always really interesting to see how, um, yeah, those little happenstance things. But again, I, as much as it happenstance and you were there, it's, you were looking for opportunities. And I think that's just as much of the ingredients as it is the thing that, happens around you or near you at the time mm -hmm. it's you yeah. were available your eyes were open you were hungry and that i think is the thing that like really counts because i imagine that people could listen to this and it would be tempting to be like well but like things aren't happening to me but it's like well were you putting yourself out there are you taking opportunities for no work or no pay yeah, or whatever yeah. to put yourself in those spaces and we've talked about and I've said on this show multiple times, like this show costs me money, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like I just pour money into this show. Um, but one, I love it. Like, and um, I, I say at the top of every episode, you know, um, we talk to local business owners, entrepreneurs about what it's like to be in the middle of that journey. And I selfishly gain insights as I build my own businesses. That's one way of putting it. The other way of putting it is so that I can have conversations that I want to have. Right. So, you are somebody that I've admired for a long time. Uh, I think we're friends. I'd yeah, say for that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, we've embraced and shared a, a number of cups of wine together. Yeah. Yeah. And, wine club. Uh, wine club. And, uh, but you know, we're both super busy. You've got a business here that you're running and I've got all things I'm doing. So to some degree, this podcast is an excuse to be like, let's just like sit down and talk and like make that the priority. Yeah. But it's, I think that this happens because I'm so hungry for those conversations and I'm so willing to be like, let's just do it. Like yeah. I, I'll pay the money, the time, the effort, all of it. It's worth to just be able to sit down and have these conversations. And for you to be able to say, Oh yeah, yeah. I'll take the scraps. I'll work at midnight. I'll do this with this musician who that's probably a generous term to give to yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that I can be in this space and be in this world. I think that um, that kind of, willingness to throw yourself at something without regard for how it turns out because that's the thing i think that that's uh i don't know i think that's a 
that's the magic. I yeah, see. I agree. I love that you're doing this. It's so cool. Thanks, <laughs> it really is. And just that it's like it has Houston in the name. Yeah. It's like there's some pride there. You know, all of us Houstonians that are like that are entrepreneurs and that mm -hmm. are doing it. Well, I, yeah. So, you know, I think there were some layers to that, obviously, when I was working through the name of the show. But, um, you know, mm -hmm. I grew up in DFW. I technically was born in Shreveport, Louisiana, but that's just because my parents lived on like the Texas, Louisiana line. So I feel like I was born in Texas. My address at birth was a Texas address, even though I was born across state lines, uh, which just one more reason why I constantly feel like I don't ever belong anywhere because from birth, I was already caught between worlds <laughs> beyond that. Grew up in DFW. Um, so that was my childhood pretty much all the way through college. And then um, and so grew up there, but then moved to Denver, did church work, got my master's degree there, um, got married while I was in Denver and mm. felt like, um, that was like where I entered into adulthood, but it was Houston. It was working at the search firm with all of those mm. people mm -hmm. that I've in, and then actually being married. I think the difference between like getting married and then being married, mm -hmm. um, that doing that, then doing, and, and, I feel like learning a lot and growing up a lot at that search firm and then getting into real estate, starting my own thing, putting my name on the thing um, that it was in this city. It was in Houston that like I was made. Mm -hmm. So I felt it was like, I was like, you know, kind of Dallas, Texas born like Denver kind of grew up, but Houston like made. Mm -hmm. And that's just these layers to it that, you know, I moved here and hated this place. Like just hated hated Houston, like with a passion. Part of that was brainwashing from DFW. Oh, it's yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> just the superiority of North Texas. Yeah. And admittedly, every time I go back to Dallas, I'm like, oh yeah, it is pretty up here. <laughs> it's really nice. The the climate is just slightly more temperate. And it's like, oh, it's not as humid. It's not. But um I came down here, which is brainwashed to be like, oh, this city's a mess. The roads don't make sense. It's chaotic. Like where and um but then I Wait, think how old were you then when we moved here, mm -hmm. I would have been 28, I think 27, 28, somewhere around there when we moved to Houston mm -hmm. and then, um, and then, yeah. And then it slowly just started chipping away. I think part of it was the people that I got to work with and the, those friends in Vince. what a great group of people. Oh, oh my goodness. gosh. Well, and it, it's telling that, that I think like seven guests on this show have been from that space and from that friend group yeah um but it was that and their love for houston and their willingness and then houston's just willingness to embrace anybody to be which i found that in denver partially because denver is like nobody in denver's from denver so you can be whoever the hell you want to be so like whatever we don't care but houston is this really interesting space in texas to be like yeah we're all hustling here like this, it's not necessarily the Austin be weird. It's like, but no, we're all working here. Yeah. <laughs> like this is a working town. Yeah. And if you're willing to put in the work and really give a shit what you do or where you're from or whatever, just like get to work, let's get after it and make something and do something. And, uh, and so, yeah, over the years and even doing real estate and really getting to see and learn a lot about the different communities, I fell in love with it. And so, yeah, I, I feel a lot of that, like wanting to highlight this city and it being Houston, Houston centric to say, I, I don't, this isn't ever going to be a national show. I don't think it's ever going to blow up, but uh, that's the point. The point is like, let's go deep. Let's, mm. let's be like focused and then just 
like there's so many amazing people here. I could do this show literally for the rest of my life and we'll never run out of people to talk to. And I'm sure it would change dramatically over over all those decades. I you, love it. You did say you were going to interview me. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I did. Uh, uh, here we are. Okay, let's talk about the transition then from uh, the big multi-million dollar studio to Ty building his own space yeah. and your own business. And then I'd love to, to talk a bit about like, the business side of this. So are you advertising? Right, so right. let's talk about the transition yeah. and we'll go around the room. Okay. Um, so transition was when you build a large multi-million dollar studio and pay people to design it every inch of it to be acoustically perfect. Yeah. Well, not acoustically perfect, but really nice Pre acoustically. Yes. Um, that it's a lot of money. And so you have a big overhead and you have to charge a lot to, you know, per hour for clients to come in and record there. <clears throat> and you can, or kind of have to not pay your engineers a lot. So, you know, pretty, pretty quickly, once you start to build connections and you realize, okay, this is what I want to do. And I should clarify that not just what I want to do is engineering because there, there is kind of a, uh, vocational track in audio where you could be, um, more leaning technical mm -hmm. and less creative and, um, you know, facilitating the recording of, um, commercials yeah. you know, for corporations and stuff like that. Audio Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that work needs to be done. And I know some awesome engineers that do that work really well um, <clears throat> and make a, you know, a decent living and are happy doing that because they love the technical aspect. They, they meet with new people every day that they're tracking, you know, they're doing, they're tying in with studios all over the world to record vocalists that are all over the world, you know, cool technical type stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But and that's not for me. Sure. You know, I like my background is like rock band and um, want like wanting to create the songs and the palette of, you know, textures that the listeners going to hear. So that's kind of like at a certain point, I I realized, OK, there's not enough control here. Mm -hmm. Like I'm being handed sessions that are a lot of them are fun. Some of them weren't. Um, but I'm very, I'm being very technical. Like here's this cello player that's trying to get into college and for their cello program, yeah. they need me to set up the right microphone in the right way, mm -hmm. put it through the right preamp and record it without it distorting. But I'm not like, hey, they've got a piece of, it back a yeah, more. yeah, exactly. In that third, in <laughs> yeah. That third bar. yeah, exactly. That's to, you know, I'm just like the capturer, yeah. you know, technical and that's not my wheelhouse i just i'm not built for that so the boredom sets in the like i said the coolness of working in the big cool studio starts the shine starts to fade and um and for me i realized okay like i'm more interested in going and finding artists and bands and you know like singers songwriters yeah. and you know rappers and whatever those people that are wanting to create like projects, mm -hmm. they want to do a single or an EP or an album. 
and I want to like dream with them and all of all that entails taking on a project where you're kind of like saddling up next to them and yeah. becoming a teammate for that time. Like that's, that's what really makes me interested and happy and fulfilled. So yeah. like, you, you know, slowly over time you you're meeting people and you're starting to do that kind of work on the side, Yeah, you know, cause a lot of those projects, especially when you're starting out, you're doing them for very cheap because you found somebody whose music you believe in and you have the technical facility or uh, faculties, I should yeah. say, you know, you have the ability to, technically to make it sound decent and they've got the songs and the voice, mm -hmm. you know, you do that for a while and slowly, if you do, don't do a bad job of it, other people start coming yeah. and you get more and more busy doing that work. Out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just naturally it grew to a place to where I was doing more, I was doing more work and making far more money and not charging a ton, right? Yeah. But just as so a being a like a an affordable partner or a place where they actually can do this work. Yes, studio, that's exactly like yes. That. And but the work that I was doing was I was doing a lot of it out of the um, like twelve by thirteen bedroom in our duplex that we were living in, right? So <laughs> yeah. not like a great place, but not a horrible place for a lot of the work to be done, especially when you're starting off. Um, and so it's like bedroom producing trying to get as much out of that as you can and finally going okay well i'm either going to continue to straddle this fence and do like work in the cool big studio a lot or i'm gonna like hang out my shingle for real and be like you know like invest in the in some of the gear that the studio has you know and I did that at a time when there, you know, a lot of people that were in my position were doing that, you know, people that were working at studios. I say a lot, like it's, you know, a ton of people in this industry in general, especially in Houston, there aren't a ton, but, you know, getting your own space, even if it's not perfect and then making the most of it. That's what I was doing in that bedroom in the duplex. Yeah. And then, you know, just life um, journey just so happens, you know, for a little while there, I actually didn't know if we would stay in Houston. You know, I was, uh, Sarah and I were newly married. Um, she had her career and was doing well. I had my career and, and in Houston there, it's not an entertainment town, right? But just yeah. practically speaking, economically, it's not an entertainment yeah. town. It's a oil and gas and medical center town. And so there was a time where we were considering, a, a, you know, for Ty's career, do we move to LA or Nashville or something like yeah. that? And, and because of personal reasons, friends and family that we love here, you know, um, love, love for the city of Houston, but more so love for the people that are here that we love, you know, it was, it just became, like a non-starter yeah. like we can't yeah. and then especially once we started thinking okay you know when will we start our family yeah um you know it was like if we're if we're either going to keep renting this duplex indefinitely or we're going to like put down some sort of roots and yeah. buy a house thus this happening and um just so happens that we found this house with this detached mm -hmm. kind of half finished 
garage that was was at least in good enough shape plumbed out that you know i could make something of it yeah it's an amazing story to to that transition of mm. investing in people that like like-minded individuals and finding the people that you knew you wanted to work with i relate very much in the video work in that as we said before started recording that there are people who are technically far better at using their cameras than I am and that I ever will be, you know, with a lifetime of playing with these things, I still am never going to catch up to where some of these 25 year olds are even with their camera. Mm -hmm. But the engaging with the person to help co-create, obviously a lot of the work that I'm doing for video work is, um, is influencing what's being created, right? I'm not just turning on a camera and be like, okay, go for it and then waiting for them to do whatever they need to do and then pressing record again and yeah. then fixing settings and all of that. It's, it's a collaborative process. And the people that I've chosen to work with are people who, um, yeah, that, that view me as a peer, right. That view me as a partner in that creation process. And right, yeah. that's, I'm far more drawn to that than people who just need someone to like snap their fingers and like, press record or set up and get the lighting and just, just right. Yeah. It is finding those places where you can be a part of the thing. I think it's where you and I probably. Get yes, for sure. Them. I was going to say, it's the same thing, just different yeah. medium. Yeah. Cause you're like, I mean, what they would call a director in uh, video land would be the terminology in my world is producer. I actually don't love the term producer. Uh, I think that think some lines got crossed in the industry when I think it was Dr. Dre mess things up because he he's a producer yeah. right in the sense that he does he doesn't just make the beats like he produces the artist he casts the vision he's like i mean he's mixing things he's doing vocal coaching he is a true producer in the in that terminology but yeah. in hip-hop i think a lot of uh when he came out like when when he started releasing the the first like especially his solo stuff, chronic and stuff like he, people saw that he made the beats. Mm -hmm. And I think some lines got crossed that producer means beat maker. Yeah. When, and, and I don't like that confusion. I, I wish that there was a term like director mm -hmm. or maybe even using the term director in our industry. Cause we don't. Right. Yeah. Cause I feel like the, what producers do like Rick Rubin or, you know, uh, Daniel Lamois and Brian Eno or those types of like famous producers are really like the more the analog is more close to directors than it is yeah. producer because in video land producer means something completely oh, different. Yeah, yeah, you're financier, you're, you're right, yeah, you're doing all of that. It, yeah. So you might have some input, but it's not in a, a collaborative, creative thing. It's exactly, just, it's protecting your investment. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a cool. I think. A, a, good distinction for people who don't know. Cause I think this world I, on Micah's episode, I had him like walk through and like, hey, okay, so you have ideas for songs. How do we go from there to having like a vinyl record? Like, <laughs> where, do, what's the thing? And I kind of forced him to lead us through the whole process, including mixing and mastering and all of the things. Cause I would go like, I don't, I don't think most people know how much goes into it. And then even with uh, Gene Leon, I, put him on the spot. I was like, you don't have to answer this you want, but I was like, how much money have you put into like making this happen? And he was like, yeah, $40,000. Yeah. And like, that's like a great, that just people don't know. Yeah. I think that it's easy now when everybody can like, 
pull up Pro Tools or GarageBand on half of their devices. They're like, oh yeah, so you just like sit down with a guitar and you like do the thing, and now it's like out there in the world. So I think there's a gross misunderstanding or a gross underappreciation for what you do, which is why I'm so excited to have you here to like talk all about that. Um, well, we're getting close to time. We're probably far over it, but. Um, as you have gotten into the business side of all of this, how has that grown? How have you, obviously it makes sense the trajectory of your skill set with the music and the sounds and fixing that and making that sound beautiful. Even the collaboration on a creative level of from the first garage band and ideation to now collaborating and being this director mm. of artists, um, but what about the business side of it? Where did you, how have you learned those things as you have scaled this stuff and be like, oh, now I have overhead and costs and <laughs> equipment fees and all that. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's a necessity. You know, at a certain point, the adulthood kicks in and you're like, okay, this is fun. And this is, this is I'm very blessed to do this, but if I'm going to do it at a high level, you know, if I'm going to uh, take it seriously, I need serious equipment, which means somewhat serious money. And um, I'd say I'm also surrounded by people like you and my wife that have um, and other friends that are professionals that are like high functioning, um, very passionately driven people in their own right. And I've learned, I think mostly from them, they point me to the right books and the right like cultures within YouTube and, you know, rabbit holes and that kind of thing. And I'm, uh, I read a lot. I'm, uh, and I'm diving into like blogs and articles a lot out of necessity. Yeah. You know, it's like the, it's the thing that I don't, I wouldn't do naturally other than trying to like support the scaffolding underneath the creativity and, and also uh, through that learning, like f because I'm client facing mm -hmm. technically speaking, yeah. because I go out all, I, I am a one-stop shop, you know, I'm my own business. So I'm client facing, I'm B2B when I'm, I'm like, if I'm a mixing engineer, ha handing something off to a mastering engineer, I'm business to business. Yeah. So I like having my ear to the ground in conversations like this, I'm like where, where I'm not being interviewed and we're asking questions equally of yeah. each other. Yeah. You know, I, I learn a lot that way. And I'd say, um, uh, still have a lot to go. I, I will also say one, um, personal decision, uh, I made early on was to, hone the craft first and that doesn't mean neglecting everything else you know um reaching out to artists and and meeting people and and you know just being a part of what's happening outside of myself yeah. and outside of the studio um is important but i have uh and did early on in my career want to hone the craft the artisanship of the directing or producing yeah. or whatever you want to call it. And, um, that takes time and a lot of obsession and learning, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I think that the, 
the business entrepreneurial side of things being led by that is is the direction that i chose i think um there and there are there's no right or wrong but i think that some people get to where they are their overhead by the gear that they bought or the or if they build their own facility apart from their home or yeah. something like that um, now they're having to do now it's almost one foot back in the door of what i described earlier yeah. where you're taking on session work and logging hours of time that is uh less creative and more technical again yeah and i just chose to kind of what yeah. is this in football <laughs> stiff arm, stiff arm. Yeah. i chose to stiff arm that yeah and uh and have been blessed that i can do that and that word of mouth works in what I do well enough to do that and to just like head down, work on the craft yeah, and um, let the chips fall where they may. I love it. You, you had said earlier, you know, that you wish to some degree when you were learning to play guitar that you would have practiced more. Mm. And so I was going to say, you know, outside of practicing more, what advice would you give your younger self? But like you did practice more. Like, it's like you already learned from that advice. It just was like, well, I just don't, I don't need to be that guitar guy. But that's true. Yeah. You, you've done that. You just yeah. did it in a different thing. Yeah. Because um, I'm certainly one to like leap ahead and be like, let's just go figure it out on the way. It is, uh, I don't know if you've seen the panic on my face, but this died when we recorded. Oh, no. So we at least have one wonderful mic for you. Yeah. And I've got backup audio. Oh, on nice. My, which is why Close we have to you too. Yeah. Which Good. is why we have these cameras is because. And this is like, I've done close to 40 something interviews and this is the first one for it to die on, wow. which is on you. So that's the panic on my face, which is all the more reason to be like, I don't know, man, we'll just figure it out. Like, <laughs> let's just go. Yeah. And I have often, I think as I've gotten into it, necessitated the other thing of like, oh, I have to learn the technical <laughs> side. I have to go back and learn these things to catch up to where my mouth has gotten me. Yeah. Um, but aside from that is, you were looking back and on the journey that you've been on so far. Uh, if you were looking at 14 year old Ty who just got allured by the college kid with the guitar and the pedals and stuff, is there advice that you would give your younger self looking at all of this? Yeah, I would say, um, I would say at some point past maybe 16 or 17 practice a little more practice your, like I, I have cobbled together a uh, hack of all trades ability on like keys and out of necessity because a producer should at least, you know, like I can sit down at the piano and play. I can play guitar, drums, bass, whatever. Like, but yeah, I and partly professionally, but also just for my own benefit of like having fun with the instrument. You know, I kind of wish I had practice more yeah. other than that don't change a thing <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. yeah the increase the palette just yeah. for your own sake to have more colors to play with yeah. um, well i love that man well thank you for for taking the time and for sharing so much of your story i uh again very selfishly just enjoyed getting to hear more of it and uh, the advice that, or even just the experience of you learning so much about the business by having people around you who can will offer that advice. Certainly my experience, I've talked about that on the show before, uh, it was Jeff Gilmer and Bob Sutton 
and all of these folks in Holly Tate, all of them building businesses that were just so generous to sit. And every time I had a question of like, wait, you did what? How did you do that? What was, what was the shortcut? Um, it was that that let me kind of get my foot into this world. And my hope is that this show will do the same for others that maybe people pick up little pieces here and there and they go, oh, okay, that's how how we handle that. But thank you for, for sharing all that, man. Absolutely, man. Thanks all right. Me. So Ty, Ty Robbins, if anybody needs a music producer, director, <laughs> uh, mixer, all things, uh, they'll, they, we should send them to you. Yeah. Love to have you. Sweet, man. Thanks. A huge thank you to Ty and to you for listening to this episode of Houston Made. Again, my apologies go out to Ty and to you guys for dropping the ball with that audio recorder. As much as it sucks, I hope this can be some real-life authenticity that whenever you set out to do a thing, things are inevitably going to go wrong, and your long-term success is going to be dependent upon your willingness to embrace the suck and get through to the other side. So maybe we'll have Ty back on for season four and make it up to him. In the meantime, be sure to go check out Ty's work on his website, tyrobbins.com, and you can follow him on Instagram at tyrobbins, T-Y, Robbins, to find some of the other local musicians he's worked with, and maybe you'll even get to come to a house show sometime. Be sure to join the text line, the Houston Made text line, by texting the letters HTX to the phone number 844-714-0275 to keep up with what's going on here. If this is your first time tuning in, we have interviews available with entrepreneurs from all kinds of backgrounds, including ice sculptors, leather workers, and tattoo artists. If you're interested in connecting further, you can find me on Instagram at RustyJGates or the show at Houston Made Podcast. Houston Made is hosted by me, Rusty Gates, scheduled, coordinated, and edited in collaboration with Megan Holstein. Special thanks goes out to Luke Bronner with Million Media for continued support of the show and to Mac Ryan for collaboration on our artwork. Credit for our theme music goes to old friends, new friends. And Houston Made is glad to be a part of the Milieu Media neighborhood of podcasts and storytellers. To find more shows made by amazing storytellers from all kinds of backgrounds, visit milieumedia.com.